I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hornady Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Swerzik. I appreciate you tuning in on this episode. We've got a great one for you. Before we get there, please subscribe to the podcast, whether that's on YouTube or iTunes, Spotify, wherever you digest your podcast. We'd appreciate you subscribing to this one. It doesn't cost you a thing. really helps us out. Uh, now to jump right into the episode, I'm going to say back by popular demand. Uh, you know, there was a, a, a whole bunch of podcasts where we, we really started diving into ballistics and uh, external ballistics, terminal ballistics, cartridges, why things happen. And as it turns out, the listeners really got engaged with those episodes. And one of those episodes, we featured our guest today, Jeff Seward. Jeff, thanks for coming back onto the show. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you. And I, I wasn't saying that just to uh, blow smoke at you. It's a real thing. You know, the ammunition demystified the book that, that you wrote. Um, we just got done with our trade show season. And I know you and I were talking about this before, but uh, January, February, big trade shows. Dallas Safari Club, Safari Club International, SHOT Show, uh, the NRA shows coming up. we got all these big shows, and we interact with our customers, which is awesome. And I can't tell you how many times at each show somebody came up and said, oh, love your podcast, love what you guys are doing. And of those, there was a bunch that said, man, I went down a rabbit hole. I bought the Ammunition Demystified book, and you weren't lying. It is not for Bubba's. Uh, <laughs> but they're learning a lot, and I think that translates. And there's a ton of information in there, and it's written so well. And there's just so much that we can learn from a guy that has dedicated his entire entire professional career into the study of ballistics. And man, uh, that excites us. You know, you can tell I'm getting excited because I think our listeners, much like me, when it comes to something technical that has to do with something that's a passion of mine, I just can't help but want to know more. Kind words. Thank you very much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, this, uh, this episode... Um, what we've got lined out here, and I appreciate you putting this together because this is really helpful, something that we as shooters and as handloaders and reloaders, I think a lot of us take for granted or we don't take it for granted. We appreciate what it is and why it's important, but we don't understand the complexities of what's actually occurring. And uh, I'm talking about cartridge cases, and I'm going to start with calling it a cartridge case because in your experience, you've used probably a lot of different materials, obviously in small arms ammunition, we're using brass. But uh, I think that's probably a good place to start is the separation of your career using different cartridge cases and us with, you know, brass. Yeah. Um, cartridge cases, you know, conceptually are just a high-pressure seal, a disposable, replaceable high-pressure seal. Oh, pretty simple concept, right? Yeah. From an engineering perspective, pretty complicated. You know, there's there's uh, material nonlinearities. It's a contact nonlinearity. You know, the, the cartridge case has to mash out and contact the chamber in order to be an effective seal. Mm -hmm. Then there's the whole thermal event thing that goes on. So analytically, anyway, there's a there's just a whole pile of things that that the engineer analyst has to take into consideration when you're doing a cartridge case design, or in our case, generally speaking, sadly, um, failure analysis. Yeah, that's a thing. So, yeah, so over, 
I, I went and checked the records, and in 40 years, I've done work on approximately 20 different cartridge cases. Wow. Not all of them brass. Not all of them brass. You know, there's there's been brass, steel, aluminum, polymer, polymer, metal composites, um, and in small cal brass cartridge cases i think i just i just looked it up and there's only been two brass cartridge cases i've had to do failure analysis on first was 300 win mag and the other was 338 norma okay um the 338 norma was in a machine gun the 300 win mag was in a bolt gun so i mean it's not like it's Platform specific, not particularly platform specific. The failures were different, but um, yeah. So there, people are making cartridge cases out of all kinds of things today. Yeah. Brass is a good old reliable standby. You know, as reloaders, we like it because we get to reuse the damn yeah. things. Yeah. Well, and when you're reloading, when powder wasn't super expensive and primers weren't expensive, brass was and and still is largely the most expensive part of that whole equation and if i can reuse it i certainly want to and, yeah yeah absolutely yeah and Hornsey absolutely. got into cartridge case manufacturing late 80s early 90s is when it was okay our ammunition demand is high enough now that we can't really be leaning on other vendors to produce this stuff for us and that's when we got into it but again in small cal we're only focused on brass and luckily like you mentioned brass is gosh reusable and it's easy to work, you know, within some constraints. Yep. And it's just, it, it, it handles pressure well. Um, again, easy to manufacture. That's why we use it. And like you said, there's, you know, you could dumb it down to potato guns. PVC's the <laughs> PVC pipe is the cartridge case, yeah. essentially. Uh, but when we get into those failures, like you mentioned, you know, that's the thing that we all want to avoid. And I'm excited to learn about from you all of the different aspects that that will cause that failure and what we all have to be uh considerate of and i think a lot of that starts with cartridge cases have to handle pressure so we how are we going to measure the pressure is, is a big one yeah so in the in the u.s most of the ammunition producers use what's called a conformal transducer mm-hmm. so that thing is specifically made to match the curvature and taper of the cartridge case in question and it has to be drilled very precisely within a thousandth of the center line of the chamber to measure the pressure accurately mm-hmm. um offshore cip they measure pressure case mount so that's a little bit different procedure different approach okay and believe it or not because of most likely thermal conductivity of the brass case, there's a considerable pressure gradient, if you will, between pressures read, say, just behind the shoulder of the cartridge case Mm -hmm. and the case mouth. My experience has been, it may be as much as 8,000 PSI difference in pressure between uh, a port taken just behind the case shoulder and the case mouth with brass cartridge cases. Wow. Don't tend to see that with polymer cases. Really? Because the conductivity oh, is so okay. lower. Okay. 
So it's it's um, something that people could be thinking about when time comes to assess pressure, yeah. at least in the lab. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, you know, 8,000, when you're talking about 60 or 65,000 pounds, 8,000 pounds doesn't necessarily sound like a lot, but if you're at 62, you think, and you're actually at 70. 70, yeah, yeah. that's like... That's that's kind of scary territory. Yeah. Things start getting real questionable after about yeah, 69,000 pounds. And and the thing with brass is there's always a trade-off of strength versus elongation at failure. So let's talk a little bit about the case failure criteria. Okay. So cartridge cases are almost always stressed above their yield strength. So a factor of safety is really not the sort of criteria that one would commonly use to assess cartridge case robustness. It's really the, the metric that ought to be used is percent of ultimate strain. How much can you stretch it till it fails? And what percentage of that number do you attain during normal operation? Okay. So it's a it's a it's really a kind of a different mindset in terms yeah. of assessing the case structure. How much should you allow? If you kept everything under worst case conditions to like 70%, that gives you a little bit of wiggle. Mm-hmm. Cases, chambers a little bit big, cases a little small, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you'd, be, you'd probably be happy with that. Okay. Um, what are, what are military-grade guns seeing? Um, like maybe 50, 55, 60% in, in, under most circumstances. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, you've got, you can't really control the conditions, the heat, yeah, uh, so that, sand. Yeah, so it, it, that's the other thing, you know, kind of um, what what's good for the gun is bad for the case and vice versa. Okay. So if you do something like lubricate the cartridge case, that's good for the case, bad for the gun. What happens is in the, in the interior ballistic event, the case mashes against the, the chamber wall, and a significant amount of load gets dumped to the chamber wall in friction at that interface if the case is dry and unlubricated. Mm-hmm. Let's just make those caveats. Um, that ends up reducing the aft thrust on the bolt. That helps your gun last a whole lot longer. Thing called fatigue life. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want the gun to last, make sure after you're done resizing the cartridge cases, you clean all of that resizing lube off of the OD of the case. There you go. So that's that's kind of an important thing. How yeah. important? Let's just say back in the '80s, the test was done on. medium caliber aluminum cartridge cases and we compared a dry case to a lubricated case the bolt load doubled with a lubricated case whoa yeah it's it was kind of was borderline shocking how much doubled doubled absolutely doubled so word of the wise when you resize your cartridge cases, take extra care and make sure just they, wipe them down. They are well, not just wipe them down, scrupulously clean, as clean as you can make them. Sure. Okay. You'd much rather throw away a cartridge case than throw away a gun. Oh yeah, or have a bolt 
bolt, bolt come loads. back. Yeah. Yeah. So the 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 decrease in fatigue life happens as somewhere between the square and the cube of the added load. So if you double the aft load by lubricating the cartridge case, you've cut the fatigue life by four. Whoa. Or maybe as much as eight. Yeah. Okay. So that's something you don't want to do. Yeah. That, and that's, you know, to have, because we get that question a lot, you know, people will call in, do I need, you know, we spray it down with one shot. Do I need to clean it up? We always tell them, yeah, yeah, use a microfiber towel or something and, and wipe that residual lube off of there. But now, is, now, now is to it, know. Is that stuff water soluble? I have no idea. Okay. So if it's water soluble, I, I'm pretty sure your um, your sizing wax is okay. I use that. I'm I'm a fan of it. Um, I I tend to wipe it down and then I'll run it through an ultrasonic bath, and that oh. doesn't that does a really good job of taking all of that stuff off. Okay. And um, yeah, get it get that case as scrupulously clean as you can manage. That is uh, yeah something that. We always recommend, but never had a, a, a scientific, hey, this is the implications yeah. of not doing that. Now, I f- freely admit we didn't do the same test with brass, brass. case. Sure. Is it going to be heaps a lot different? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. The, the, and the, the coefficient of friction dynamically, they're pretty low, you know, 0.08. Somewhere in there on a clean case, clean chamber, but you cut it in half if you if you lubricate it. So wow. it's like, or 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 in some cases, some guns we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, if in, if a dry film lube is intentionally applied to the OD of the case, the much less load is shed in shear at the cartridge case chamber interface, which increases the bolt load. Wow, and that's why you see it's raining outside. You're at a match, and people are dumping primers. Uh, I've I've been at matches in a rainstorm, and yeah, guns running great. Rain starts coming down, and I'm watching the guy in front of me, and he's fiddling around, and he's got shaking primers out of the ejection port. Oops, yeah, that Oops. happens. And I one quick note that I think most general consumers probably don't understand is when we talk about measuring pressure. Pressure, um, like you said, it's conformal with the transducer, and that transducer as I understand it, is really powered by the magical quartz crystal, basically. And that's that's pretty amazing to me. The uh, the piezoelectric Yeah, you you push a you push on it with a with a, a known force and it generates a, a an electric field. Mm-hmm. And we run that through a charge amplifier and that we've got a we got a pressure measurement. Not a not a static pressure measure. We have it it's 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 a dynamic thing. Yeah. And that's from a understanding of ballistic standpoint, that was a huge innovation. Huge just, innovation, just gigantic. Yeah, and it and it allows you to be pretty exacting in what you're measuring, uh, much more than you know the previous ways. And Matt George down in our uh, lab, he's kind of our lead uh, lab technician down there. He was just on the podcast talking about 308 Winchester. I've heard him use the. He said this to I think a tour came through, and he said piezoelectric pressure reading system and somebody said well what's that he's like piezo the greek word for bone or crystal and electric the english word for expensive (laughs) (laughs) yeah so in the day before the invention of those things they used what they called copper crushers yep and and basically 
you took a piece of dead soft copper and you and you and you screwed it into a barrel and you measured how much the thing the thing compressed, compressed and that was allegedly related to the peak pressure that was that was seen and it's really it's really the how much area under the curve above the yield point of that copper mm-hmm. copper cylinder and having been down that road in 20 millimeter it's much less than accurate given some powder loads i mean so if you have a pressure time curve where you've man- you've managed to somehow magically flatten the peak and broaden it it'll give you a much higher crush reading mm-hmm. than than you'll see with the piezoelectric okay so it's yeah, don't get fooled. Don't get fooled. Don't and that's why fooled. we, everybody else in the industry, using that piezoelectric system, that's the way to go. So moving on here, you've got what does the what do the gun guys worry about? Uh, what do the gun guys worry about? You know, the reloaders, us shooters, talking small cal. Yeah, so the primary thing is, is, is the, does the case survive the firing event? You want to be able to pull the cartridge case out in one piece. Flip the bolt open come back out and then you yeah. got your breath so if you if you open the bolt and only half the case comes out you're having a bad day bad day so that's that's number one is the percent of ultimate strain less than a hundred percent um what what factors influence that um there are a lot of things okay what a thing we call lock stiffness influences that that's the mechanical compliance of the bolt relative to the aft barrel face during the interior ballistics event. So if you if you think about an AR platform, what's in the load path, what the engineers call a load path, is the barrel, the lock extension, and the bolt. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. And the shorter that bolt that load path, we're assuming we're gonna make it out of steel. The shorter the load path, the stiffer that okay. that lock stiffness is, the higher that lock stiffness is. That makes sense. Yeah. And the larger the area of the parts, particularly the lock extension, um, you know, the little, the little fingers on the lock extension and the bolt, the kind of the, the beefier those are, the higher the lock stiffness. Okay. Uh, old old uh, French gun and MAS, it, you know, you have to, that, that lock on that bolt is way at the end of the bolt. So you have, the whole length of that bolt plus the attached receiver to send it back, send that load back to the barrel. So that that's kind of relatively speaking springy. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that we really, from a cartridge case design and gun interface perspective, that is the the, the case has to be able to withstand that level of deflection without rupture. Okay. So that's that's something that's kind of 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 paramount concern. Um the next thing the gun the gun folks worry about of course is peak bolt load. Peak bolt load, I mean if if you just do, you know, pressure times the area inside the cartridge case and you assume nothing gets dumped to the to the chamber in shear, that's probably pretty conservative. Okay. A lot of gun guys, a lot of gun engineers use that as an assumption. And from a fatigue calculation standpoint, that's, that's a pretty conservative. Yeah. And that's, approach. so that's, yeah, an advisable way to do it, assuming nothing's going to get right. dumped into the chamber. Right. 
Right. The next thing would be the residual load at the start of unlock. So you've, you've fired the cartridge case. The case expands and has yielded. It's gone past the elastic regime into the plastic regime, and it's kind of press fit into the chamber. Now you have to unlock the bolt mm-hmm. for a lock breech gun. Right. Do you have enough force? Do you have enough torque on a bolt gun to be able to allow that bolt to be unlocked? A drop block gun, do you have enough energy or force to be able to slide the breech vertically past the pressure that's being exerted by the aft end of the case on the on the bolt face? Okay. So that's another thing that you have to worry about. The the next thing would be the the peak load at the start of extract. Almost all cartridge cases, at least for high pressure applications, have some sort of body taper to mm-hmm. And the reason for the body taper, chamber taper, is so that you only have to fight a little ways to unlock it. To 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 pull it out of the chamber. Okay. So so the 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 body taper on the on the chamber and on the cartridge case is kind of one of those factors that you really have to scrutinize in pretty pretty good detail if you're a firearm designer and you're looking for um reliability and smooth operation okay so so that's that's kind of the other thing that that folks look at and lastly, case chamber friction. Um, how? What's the surface finish of the of the chamber? What sort of material do you have on the outside of the cartridge case, if any? I mean, some of the some of the steel cartridge cases that are used have a a, a lacquer uh, paint, lacquer, yeah. lacquer paint, or polymer to help with extraction. Well, one of the reasons that you would tend to use uh, a lacquer or a polymer on a steel case is for a given hardness, given strength, brass versus steel, steel doesn't have the elongation at failure that the brass does. So you really got to cut down the friction, if at all possible, between the case and the chamber to keep the, the cartridge case out of trouble. Mm-hmm. So people say, oh, brass cases and steel cases, they're interchangeable. Your gun probably doesn't think so. The gun, yeah, if the, if the gun had a voice. If the, gu- if the gun had a vote, the gun would say, uh, no, please, let's go back to brass. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That is pretty remarkable. And, and in regard to the chamber friction, I've seen some gunsmiths will, will cut a chamber and then, I'm going to say rough up, but that's a... a overstatement but they'll usually use like four hot steel wool or like a gray scotch bright pad and very slowly spin the barrel in the lathe and and uh, like i say rough up but but it i guess it would be a polish it's polish 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 it feels smooth but it's i'm guessing putting very very tiny tiny little abrasions in it because uh the scotch bright pad would be a little scuffy A, a, a little rough but not as rough as a as a bad cutter so yeah 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 <laughs> okay and, and does in doing that and i've i just assumed it was to help the 
cartridge brass grip the chamber wall. Is that what's what's your thoughts on that? I I think they're they're doing it to 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 reduce the roughness and help oh, okay. help facilitate extraction. Sure. So that's that's my take on that. Okay. Out here, you may only get one chance. So never compromise at any distance. Match accurate ELDX bullets, highest BCs, flat trajectories, and unparalleled terminal performance at all practical ranges. Precision Hunter ammunition from Hornady. Discussion of non-linear stress strain. Now let's let's define that. So we've got okay, what the gun guys are worried about, and if the yep. gun had a vote, he'd much prefer brass. Yep. So let's jump into what you just you describe as nonlinear stress strain, hardness, and the thickness gradients. Yeah. So so the reason we're able to make brass cartridge cases work as well as they do is there's a gradient as you go from the base of the cartridge case to the case mouth. There's a gradient in terms of material hardness. We'll talk about the hardness in a second. And as and 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 case wall thickness as well. Sure. And both of them have to be in the right zone in order for the case to do its job sealing the high-pressure gases and be able to be extracted in one piece once the firing event is over. Okay. So the stress-strain properties, uh, we'll have to talk a little bit about um, the normal behavior, which is completely linear. You know, you push on it, it pushes back. Up until the point where the material we, we would call the, the behavior yielding, it no longer springs back to the original dimension. Okay. After, after you've subjected it to enough stress, the, the material yields. And, and kind of in short excursions above that stress level, it comes nearly back. But once you push it beyond there, you've, you've, you've like, You've exhausted it. And yeah. now it starts to really elongate an awful lot for just a little extra load. So you've really pushed that into the what we would call the plastic regime. And it although it springs back, it's not coming back near as far of it as it would have. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And that's really the reason we have to resize the cartridge cases. We've we've in a lot of cases pushed them kind of well beyond their yield point and now we have to squeeze them back into shape. Mm -hmm. um, for a brass cartridge case, we have to have the, the hardness at the base of the case quite high. Sure. So the yield strength is quite high. The downside to that is we also have low elongation at failure. So those those parts can't move very far before they give up the ghost and and part ways. Right. So and as we move forward, we're getting progressively softer and softer and softer towards the neck. Towards the neck, which means we're we're reducing the yield point as we go forward. And we're increasing the elongation at failure as we move from the base yep. to the neck. And that's critical in the 
the shoulder, below the shoulder, a- absolutely critical. Uh, military cartridge cases, the, the hardness gradient is specifically specified in the case drawing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's something that neither SAMI nor CIP control. So when gun manufacturers, commercial gun manufacturers, make their guns, they are well served to do what, what the military would call a function and casualty test. You, you load 100 cartridges, you fire them, did any of them fail? And so that's, that's the only way SAMI and CIP control that particular, okay. c- particular feature, you know. It, it, kind of the same with the lock stiffness. They don't, SAMI and CIP don't control those. So it's, up to, it's really up to the gun manufacturer to kind of sort that and, and make sure that they're firing in their, in their firearm a wide variety of ammunition from different manufacturers to make sure those cases don't part ways during the firing event. Sure. Yeah, that's something that, yeah, the, the gun guys, we just assume, you know, happens. You buy a gun, you don't even think about it. Yeah. You just put some ammo in it, case comes out, and we move on. Yeah, and and and, and all is happiness until, you oh, you know, we, we fired, you know, some some offshore brand in, in a, a, our lever gun, and mm-hmm. because that, that action is a little bit less stiff than a bolt gun, ooh, well... Brand X, Brand X didn't work so good, and I, I pulled the case out in two pieces. Not every shot, but yeah. you know, one out of twenty, one out of fifty. Yep. Is there a problem? Oh yeah, there's a problem. Yeah. Well, that there's leads a- us to a good point you talked about uh, as you're changing that gradient of of hardness. You know, as it gets forward closer to the neck, you have to get uh, softer so that it can stretch more and then still spring back. And that it goes hand in hand with headspace and how critical you mentioned just now a case head separation a classic yep. case head separation you open the bolt and you get a half inch stick of brass and it's supposed to be two inches long and uh that first time that you experience that yeah i mean you'll be scratching your head what happened is this dangerous what did i do wrong what did i do wrong yeah, and the answer is maybe nothing yeah it could be you yeah. know some guns are deep chambered some brass short sometimes it's been reloaded too often with too much headspace or uh, and we can get into those different headspace methods because, you know, the rim is, you know, the classic, oh, let's make this thing hell first out. The, down the, yeah, the revolver. Yeah. The revolver, the, the um, lever gun. Yeah, the, the, the big flange on the base to prevent you from inserting the cartridge more than it needs to yeah. be. And it's going to stretch a country mile, just like having a belt on a 300 wind mag. And then now we're... Oh, oh, yeah. I got, I got stories about that Oh, one. boy. All right. Well, let's get into <laughs> uh, kind of the headspace options because, you know, we're talking about the, the hardness and how cases stretch and retract. And that headspace has to be controlled and is, again, critical for the safe functioning of your firearm uh, and brass. I, I want to I wanna finish up sure. um, before we go to the, the headspace thing on the hardness gradient. Um, particularly military brass, the hardness gradient is really critical to making sure the, the cartridge case is able to be extracted in one piece. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, an article on my website about the 
cartridge cases, and there was a study done, let's say about five years ago. A young fellow did did some work with uh, with Lake City Brass, and okay. the the hardness gradient met the drawing, but you're kind of cautioned in the in the specifications to make sure you don't make any sharp changes in the gradient. Oh, so it's got to be gradual. Yeah. So if you make a sharp change in the gradient, you're you're ripe for you're ripe for a failure or a separation and, right there. Yeah. And and um I'm t- off the top of my head. Yeah. So the the failure that I saw in in brass in the 338 machine gun it was a little bit let's just say the lock stiffness of that gun was a little on the low side okay and the problem was fixed by addressing the hardness gradient in the brass okay. it had to be had to be let's just say post manufactured oh, okay okay we'll leave it at that yeah Awesome. And we, yeah, we should leave it at that. So the, you mentioned uh, your website. So for those listening, uh, bulletology.com, B-U-L-L-E-T-O-L-O-G-Y, bulletology.com, yeah. yep. if you want to check that article out. Yes. Um, so yes, head, headspace options. Shoulder? Preferred. Preferred. That's, I, I prefer that. I think a lot of people prefer that. Basically, yeah. we're controlling the distance between the base of the cartridge case slash bolt face mm-hmm. and a dimension diameter dimension on the shoulder of the cartridge case slash chamber so we control that in order to make sure that the ammunition fits in the chamber right like we like we like that approach um belt all of the old magnums oh yeah 375 h and h yeah, so so back in uh, late November time frame, I was making some 300 Win Mag ammunition for my nephew, and checked checked it in the gun, and it doesn't fit. Like, what's going on? So I got my headspace length gauges out and found out that I wasn't bumping the neck enough. Yeah, and it was too long. Yep, the shoulder needs to come back. The shoulder needs to come back more than I had initially, and I and it's not like it's not like I was being, let's just say, gentle with sizing with it with it as it was, but it just wasn't bumped enough. Okay, and so like okay, let's make make sure we're at two point two seven minus instead of two point two seven five two point two eight. Yeah, you know, somewhere in there. Yeah, you're talking about the thickness of a sheet of printer paper that's causing it's, it's it. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah. not much, but it, I mean, you, you you don't have enough moxie to close that bolt. Yeah, you got to crush it if you're going to get it in there. And the belt down there on those iconic magnums, the Win Mag, they the stop Seven you dead. Mag, they stop you yeah, dead. Yeah. And does that add? You know, in in years past when they were doing that in the early 1900s and stuff, did that? The thought that it's going to add a bunch of strength to handle that pressure, um, we can put a bunch of body taper on it so it unlocks, and we're still really strong down here. That holds true today. I mean, that's was that not flawed thinking? Um, not flawed thinking at all. Okay, not flawed thinking at all. The 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 brass that I was having problems with were fired in a gun that I had 
no experience with, had sure. no visibility to, was kind of gifted to me. And like, okay, well, resize the neck. Okay, we're good. Yep. Uh, no, we're not. And fortunately, I hadn't loaded much ammunition, so it it wasn't it wasn't a, a gigantic headache. Yeah. So, I uh, mean, I've I've had uh, in my prior uh, in my first job here at Hornady answering the phone doing technical service, I had a lot of people that would call and get something set up, and they think it's good, and then load a lot of oh. ammo. None of it chambers. And what what happened? Everything yeah. measures right. That's. Uh-huh. No, well, something doesn't yeah, matter, right? Uh, I know, I know what it is, and you're not going to want to hear the solution. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, disassemble it. <laughs> yeah, a good, a good point to pause and uh, recommend a set of headspace comparator gauges out there. Obviously, you know Hornady has a set. There's others out there, but yeah. if you're a hand loader, yeah, yeah, you should, you should yeah. Get a set. and and I and I got a set of those uh, more than a few years back, and and I'm I'm kind of wondering what I ever did without them, right? Yes, and by golly, I yeah, guess yeah, yeah. Does it fit? Yep. I mean, kind of. The chamber is the go no go gauge, <laughs> right? So the next couple headspace options we have the rim, like you talked about. Yep. That's the revolver. That's the lever action. Yep. There are thirty thirties have rim headspace. Um, yeah, that's kind of on the oldish side. Yep. Now, Just kind of like the belt. For what it's worth, a hundred five millimeter tank gun uses the same uses the same headspace option. Okay. Like, Okay. It's obviously um, strong. Is like, well, yeah, is it strong enough? It's become, and the case is out of, out of steel. So oh, that probably yeah. helps things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rim, I'm, I've, I've got a couple of revolvers. Um, yeah. 357. Oh, yeah. Classic. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's something that we use. The case mouth is the next approach. Nine millimeter, forty-five ACP. Those use case mouth. Case mouth is um, makes the length of the case obviously very critical. Yes, um, and and pistol cartridges. We're in a little bit of a special special regime, I guess you'd say, compared to rifle cartridges. You know, since there's no shoulder on the cartridge case, we usually don't get the stretch. Right that rifle cartridge cases get. The other thing that cuts down on the stretch quite a bit is the lower peak pressures that we tend to operate at. Yeah, 20, 30,000 pounds. 20, 30,000 is kind of the, maybe 35 if you're using a real hot rock. Yeah, plus P. Yeah. Um, I have seen failures, overpressure failures on some reloaded, this was happened to be a forty Smith and Wesson cartridge case, and I, and I've got some ideas of how that might have happened. But it was let's just say it did a un uncommanded mag dump. Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, lots of fun. And <laughs> hold on tight. <laughs> yeah, and you know I made some numbers on that, and this was kind of out of my own volition. I I happened to stop by and see a guy who makes uh, custom pistols and. Um, he showed me that and I was like, Hmm, how does that happen? And I made some numbers about, you know, just, just changing the free run versus, uh, free run to the rifling. Okay. Yep. Seating Bullet depth, jump. Yep. seating depth, yeah, seating depth in the cartridge case. And it's like, well, y- yes, you get, um, 
uh, a, a little bit of a pressure increase if you seed it more deeply into the cartridge case, but it wasn't kind of earth-shattering from the model that I was using. It wasn't, wasn't like, oh, if I seed it another 100 thou deep, more deeply into the case, the pressure doubled. That did not happen. I'm like, hmm, what the hell else is going on? I think what happened with that particular gun was the case walls happened to be fairly thin. And as the pressure came up, the bullet got bumped back into the, into the cartridge case. As the pressure came up, mashes the cartridge case against the wall and exposes a sharp corner as you make that transition from the case, from the chamber, into the rifling. And the bullet went, got smashed by the pressure and acceleration and grew on diameter. Now that sharp corner becomes a mechanism by which you radically increase the resistance pressure. And mm. I believe that's what caused overpressure failure of that cartridge case. Like, good luck reproducing that. Yeah. You know, that's so that, a freak accident. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it happens rarely, but often enough that somebody ought to take the bull by the horns and on the Sammy drawing ought to put either a radius or a chamfer or something in there so that, so that, is much less likely to happen. Mm, that's interesting. Just a thought. Okay. Just a thought. Yeah. So. Well, and those those headspace options like you laid out there, obviously the shoulder is the one that we prefer to use when we design cartridges. That's what we use because you can control that. And then with any of these headspace options, we talked about the elongation of the brass. That's how you can control how much it's going to stretch or how much room it has to stretch within the chamber. Uh, if you set your headspace dimension again based on the shoulder cartridge or the bolt face rather to the that specified point in the in the chamber, you've got this much room. Sammy agrees to make brass this size that'll fit in this chamber. Now there's only so much room that it can have to stretch if everything's made to those dimensions. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about where does the case stretch the most? Okay. Where the case stretches the most. So we. So percent ultimate strain, we're really worried about the, the, the stretch above the elastic limit in three dimensions. So it's longitudinal, okay. it's radial, and okay. it's in the hoop direction. Oh, so, so it's all the way around. So it's, it's it kind of the vector sum of those three that, that we really worry about. So, yep. the, so the total strain is the thing of interest to us analytically. Where the case stretches the most is just aft of the place where the case last touches the chamber mm. during the firing event. Okay. Okay. So you mash the case against, against the wall, and it, and it starts up at the case mouth because that's thinnest, it's lowest yield strength, blah, blah, blah. Boom. And then the contact runs back to the back, towards the back end of the cartridge case. Okay. And then at some point, the strength of the cartridge case and the wall thickness is sufficient to prevent the case from actually touching the wall. 
And it's there that the case stretches the most. Okay. Okay. That's probably why if you see a case head separation on a shouldered case, it's usually about a half inch up from the case head. And exactly where you expect it to be. Yeah. At least from an engineering standpoint. Right. That's that's where you expect the separation to be. And, you know, we've sectioned some cases uh, and you can see exactly where that is before they fail. And if you section them, again, it, it depends on the cartridge case, but on a 30-06, let's say, yeah, it's maybe 400 thou up from the case head. Cut it in half. You'll see the thin spot yep. in the thickness right yep, there. Yep, I, And there, I, I've got I, I've got pictures that we're going to have to insert probably in here of a 30-06 sectioned. And the failure was kind of right down near the web. And that's, I think, just cold work, excessive cold work, making that elongation of the case too small at failure. Mm -hmm. And it it causes a little tiny leak in a kind of in in a hoop direction on the cartridge case. So, like, things to worry about. There are, yeah, and this is, uh, related but somewhat tangential. The first time I read your book, uh, I forget how many years ago it was, but I remember specifically this happening. We were flying, uh, me, Jaden, uh, I think Jason Hornady was with us. I forget where we were going, some sort of event. And uh, so I'm reading this book on the airplane, and I read the, the portion of, you're talking about uh, stiffness in three different directions. Uh, at the time, I could not, wrap my head around radial and hoop stiffness and why they were different things. And I just, I remember reading that over and over and over and we landed and I was like, Jaden, you got to explain am, this. Yeah. To what me. am I missing here? So, uh, uh, it's funny that you brought that up. Cause like I said, that was, I, re- I don't know why I remember that and where I was and everything, but, uh, yeah, I remember like read it three or four times. I was banging my head on the side of the airplane. Yeah. It's just something we work with a lot and, yeah. um, you got to, I mean, if you're going to do the analysis correctly, you got to worry about the, the three dimensions. Yeah, so. right on. So as a, as a gun guy, we know what we're worried about. We know how we're controlling spe- headspace. Now, as the shooter, what I'm worried about, I put the case in the gun, close the bolt, I shoot, it comes out, everything's working good. But I'm trying to shoot small groups, or I'm trying to shoot something far away. And like you said, as the pressure-holding vessel, it's the ends to my or the means to my end, and my end is I want to shoot good groups. What kind of influence does the cartridge case have on that world of of looking for dispersion? Yes, yeah, so, so there's a, there's more than a few things here on our little list. Um, the, the the first thing is case volume variation. How much is it? How important is it? Um, recently conducted experiment that Mr. Quinlan assisted with. Yeah, which, spoiler alert to those listening, I don't know the results of his testing. I'm sure we'll get into just the wave tops of them here. But man, I walked into the lab one day, Jaden, what the heck are you doing in here? Oh, you're going to love this. We're going to set the internet on fire. And uh, so he's doing a bunch of <laughs> testing with statistically valid sample sizes and, uh, I'm excited to get that. We're going to do a whole separate podcast on that, but sorry okay. to interrupt. Yeah, there. yeah, no, no problem. So, so basically, I I took big batch of Lake City cases, and they were gifted to me. I had them on hand, and they were all Lake City '72. Okay, so they're not. They went from last week. Yeah, and I segregated them by weight. 
less than 194 and a half fired with a you know empty with an empty yeah, primer right. versus over 197 and the idea was let's just see if there's enough volume difference between those two batches of cases to make a difference in pressure and velocity okay great i loaded up uh, 178 grain ELDXs. Excellent bullet. Along with uh, W760 powder. Okay. Okay. And I, I couldn't load them to fit in the chamber. They had to kind of reseat the bullets here. Okay. And I, I, and I dropped these off when I stopped by oh, in yeah, December. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, so the testing was done and I got the information and they're, you know, kind of after the fact, okay, the velocity difference was in the 14, 15 feet a second difference. Okay. Like, okay, pressure difference was 1,500 PSI ballpark. Not a huge difference. Right. Okay. Um, if, you, if you make the numbers, the delta between one cartridge case and another cartridge case in terms of feet per second per 1% of volume difference is in the order of about 75 feet per second for okay. that cartridge and that powder and that bullet. Like, okay. The deal is that for those particular batches of cases, the, the variability within those weight classes was like three tenths of a percent yeah way low so it's it's pretty small and my experience is with most cartridge case manufacturers that's a pretty typical variation Variation. for a given lot of brass so you know you're you're talking about kind of worst case from the smallest cartridge case smallest volume cartridge case the largest volume cartridge case, about 15 feet per second ballpark extreme spread. Not a huge difference. That's not, you know, you want to chase that? Be my guest. Oh, absolutely. Be my guest. But that was not something I, I thought that I would spend a lot of effort. Doing. Yeah. And there's some sports bench rest F class, uh, short range bench rest. The whole different story. If it makes a difference is honestly inconsequential it's you're going to control every single variable yeah, everything that you, can. you possibly can yeah. in that hyper competitive world you really you you do have to and i've said it jokingly but man that crew f-class bench rest short range bench rest for sure some of those other sports it's it's weird man they've got all right and i this is the part i joked about saturn's blocking jupiter this week now i get to do the inside <laughs> chamfer on my cartridge cases and if I wait, sort them before my brow chakra, you know, it's just yeah, things yeah, are crazy. Yeah. But again, hyper competitive uh, world. Sure, so sure. You got to sure. control that kind and, of stuff. And 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 when you're dealing with those small sorts of differences, it's it would be pretty easy to get sucked into something that might not be statistically supportable, but you think works for you yeah like i, I get it oh yeah com- i completely get confidence it. is key if it you, makes you feel you good bet. you just you bet. get after it you bet the next item on my list here is case mouth preparation 
So I, I had an opportunity to work with, um, let's just say, military sniper ammo. Okay. Once upon a time. And as part of a big design of experiments where you're doing these matrix deltas on bullet shape and and ogive ogive geometry and um cartridge case preparation and a whole pile of different things all at once mm-hmm. and you're shooting fifteen shot groups, but you're taking you're taking the average of all of these things that matter and all of these things and making separate groups out of all of them. So it's it's a little bit it's a little bit low on the individual sample size, but hopefully if you if you've been careful in building the samples, you should be able to draw conclusions, valid conclusions about a particular parameter. Okay. So it's just it's just another way to do the problem or to 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 assess the problem. Yep. And because it's the government, they got unlimited resources, and you go build the big the big sample, and you shoot yeah. it, and you analyze it. Perfect. So, so anyways, case mouth preparation, whether or not you debird the ID of the case mouth, was shown to affect group size by a factor of about thirty percent. I was stunned. And basically what's going on is you cram the bullet into the cartridge case mouth. Mm-hmm. It shaves a little bit of the jacket off. Yep. And that, as the bullet uncorks from the barrel, induces an angular rate, which increases the dispersion. Yeah. So the user is well advised to make sure they deburr the mouths of the cartridge case when they do trim when they do trimming or with new or, or with new yeah, cases it's just brass in general yeah. uh, that right there 30 percent i i was i was quite frankly shocked at the number that uh, is incredible and man that's if if nothing else comes out of this podcast for the listener that's that's reloading that right there ding just, ding 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 ding. yeah you get new <laughs> brass that's cool i'm glad it's new brass put an inside chamfer on that stuff absolutely Absolutely. Um, shot start variation, crimping effects. Um, so, uh, uh, was it last year? I did a little experiment, and it was a garage-type experiment. I used two-by-fours and a couple of mending plates for a hinge, and I pushed on 25-caliber bullets and 30-caliber bullets into their respective cartridge cases and measured the peak push force. Okay. Okay. And what I found was that there was a difference between the two. Obviously, um, the the twenty five caliber was higher than thirty cal, and it's just a matter of percent increase or percent in amount of interference, if you will, between the bullet, the OD of the bullet, and the ID of the cartridge case. The interesting thing to me was the fact that there was virtually no correlation between the amount of interference and the push force or between the case neck thickness and the push force. There was no correlation. So like, hmm, how do we how do we get better at that? I I don't know. I mean, guys say, "Okay, I've got 2000s of neck tension." Two thousands of neck tension. That's not a neck tension 
unit. Yeah. That's not a neck tension unit. You have two thousandths of inter- mechanical interference. How much neck tension pressure you have depends on the stress state, the, the nonlinear hardness state of that case mount, mm. right? So you, unless you know what the hardness is of the case mount, you don't know how much neck tension you actually have. You know the interference fit. You, might, you know the interference, but that's all you know. Interesting. But, but kind of sadly, from, from the, the little bit of work I did, there was no correlation between the amount of interference, the amount of press, and, and, the, and the, the push force. Now, Interesting. Is it, the same, is it the same for the extract force? It's a little bit lower, but I don't, don't know if that has a direct I, correlation on dispersion. Yeah, yeah. So I also made some numbers on, I'd use that information to make some numbers on interior ballistics performance using a fairly sophisticated interior ballistics model. It's, a, it's kind of a step up from quick load in that it's got some knobs that quick, quick load does not have. Okay. Quick load's got kind of a peak engraving force, and, and that's, it's a single number. The model that I have, you're able to put in the shot start pressure. And everybody, I don't think anybody would argue that if you bump the shot start pressure up, you're going you're gonna to bump up the peak pressure. Yeah, right. I mean, generally, I, mean, I think everybody can agree with that. Um, the model also has the, the ability to change the free run to the start of engraving. Mm-hmm. Quick load does not have that. Right. Okay. Um, and then I'm not, I'm not slamming quick load. I'm just saying that yeah. that's not part of that model. It's a good program. A lot yeah. of people have used it, but yeah. you've got something a little yeah. more advanced. Yes, ab- absolutely. So, so changing the shot start pressure by, you know, kind of what the variability was that I measured made a couple of foot per second swing in velocity. It wasn't like a huge deal. Okay. The the long pole in the tent from an interior ballistic standpoint was the shot to shot engraving force variability. Mm, that makes okay. that makes sense. And and that's something that that's something we have no control over. Zero yep. control over. Okay. Is there a way to reduce that? That's a subject for independent research and development. Yeah. Okay. So, um, crimping effects. Let's just say I was involved with the, the government supplier on the sniper ammunition. And, okay. they, and they found that for that particular product manufactured in mass for a wide variety of sniper weapons available in the field which i mean they 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 do their very best when they leave the leave the armorers to have everything close sure to the same dimensions but in the field i mean they get different amounts of wear on them yeah and and so so they found that they would group more consistently if they crimped the bullet into the cartridge case. Really? Yes, which was a little surprising. I still don't understand that. I don't have a good physical model for how that might 
work, but it, it kind of take it for what it's worth. You know, if, so if you are if you're loading cartridges and you can't seat them at what you think the optimum free run might be, one of the things you might think about doing is crimping. Just put a light little crimp on just there. Put see a, what just put a crimp on there and see if that helps you yeah. out. Well, and, and also for the hunters out there, don't think that just because you want to put some crimp on that cartridge that you're negatively impacting the accuracy. Yeah, you might you might be helping yourself out. Now, for the, for a, a lead core copper jacket bullet, one of the downsides to that is that crimp on the OD of the bullet adds a little bit of drag. Okay, so you might be a little more yeah. sensitive to crosswinds as a result of that. Yeah. Um, but for moderate but, hunting distances, yeah, um, yeah. kind of inside inside. Let's just pick a number: five hundred yards. Yeah, you're probably fine. You're probably you'd probably be you'd take that trade. Yeah, it's you'd a trade off. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, bullet run out with a, respect to the case body, and you know I I was kind of trying to lean on Mr. Quinlan to contribute here. Yeah, but. He bailed on us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah, for the listeners, it's just me and Jeff on the podcast, which is great. But uh, Jaden doing some some cool testing. Uh, got some VIP guests. Obviously, Jeff is one of them, but he's got some other guests here that we're doing some really cool testing right now uh, in the world of R and D, and uh, he's busy doing that. So it's just us on the podcast. The Hornady Auto Charge Pro, providing precise, customizable powder dispensing in an easy to use, space saving unit. The new modernized load cell is precise to within 0.1 grain. The AutoCharge Pro offers customizable trickle speeds for various powder types, as well as custom trickle time settings. With a smaller footprint than competing brands, the AutoCharge Pro still offers a large powder capacity hopper. The AutoCharge Pro from Hornady. Yeah, so um, cup and core versus monolithic. Um, so I once upon a time, with a with a you know pretty stock off the shelf Remington model 700 took some factory ammo and I just segregated them low run out versus high run out and it low was kind of under 5000 and high was I won't over 5000 well by a large margin <laughs> okay and Mike that not gun, ammo, of course. no it wasn't as a matter of fact so um yeah, so the, the the gun, you know, it's a off the shelf Remington 700. It, you know, shoots a little over an inch, five shot group, extreme spread at 100 yards. I could not tell the difference between the low runout group and the high runout group. Am I the world's best shooter? Not by a large margin, but you know, it 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 was just a kind of a non-player. Mm-hmm. Now I I've, I've read some things and seen some things and and yeah it can affect impact points, it can affect dispersion, but I think you got to go out a long ways before that starts to be an important okay important factor. So that testing still ongoing. Yes. Okay. Neck turning. I've neck turned cartridge cases. Mm-hmm. I have yet to see a benefit. I've done it too, and I'll never do it again, whether there's a benefit pain or not. Pain in the butt right? It's a pain in the butt, and for, for the matches I run, there's a lot of brass that goes, and I'll never it, see it again. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not spending no, not, the time not, to do it. Not putting not putting the effort into that. Right. Full length versus neck size only. Um, 
So my thoughts here are, why would you next size only if you could get a more repeatable initial projectile position by having clearance all the way around the cartridge case and letting the bullet decide where it's going to rest. The control the diameter on the bullet in the in the you know sub ten thousandths of an inch, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're in a a typical bolt gun, you've got a spring loaded plunger, it biases that cartridge case initial position to one side or another, and it, if it rests on the on the bullet, that's as consistent as you can make things. Yeah. Right. Yep. Why would you? I mean, and I've talked to other bullet manufacturers about the next size only and what they told me was we do it to save our the life of our brass yeah that's it that's why we do it in our accuracy lab downstairs we next size only uh we hand load every single bullet that gets shot for accuracy it makes our brass last longer that's the only reason we do it yeah yeah and 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 they and they said to me that it doesn't from their experience, it doesn't make any difference in terms of the group size. It's only to make the brass last longer. Like, okay, I'm getting it. Yep. I'm getting it. So whether you want to, I mean, for me, if I'm out hunting someplace, if I cram a cartridge into the chamber and it and I can't close the bolt, I would not be a happy camper. No, no and this is anecdotal, but for me personally, early on in my long-range shooting endeavors, uh, hand-loading, Oh, okay. This, you know, this is what the guys are doing. This is what the old timers are doing. They're neck sizing everything. So that's what I'm going to do. Yep. So I went on this tirade. That's what I was doing. I was shooting 308 with 178 boat to hollow points, uh, using Varget. Thing is just shot lights out. And, uh, I'd went through, I don't know. I had this brass that I had outside neck turn. Yep. And I forget what firing I was on. Things were going smooth. And I had one that chambered a l- tighter. I, I physically, as I was closing the bolt was like, that's a little tight. That's a little tighter. And when I got home and I was, you know, unpacking my stuff from the range, kind of like hit me like, if I'm neck sizing for consistency, I just had one that was noticeably more difficult to chamber than every other cartridge. That's inconsistent. Yes. But when I full length size, everything feels the same. Yes. So I was like, maybe I won't do that anymore. And that was <laughs> for me. Again, that was the epiphany. Yeah. Anecdotal. I didn't have any. Sure science-based reasons to start nor did i have any to stop i just thought that's not consistent and that and consistency is what i'm after yeah yeah um annealing i mean lots of guys are annealing cartridge cases these days yeah it's um, gotten a lot easier a lot cheaper to do well maybe not necessarily cheaper but less labor intensive for and, sure and it's probably easier to be more consistent than it's ever been oh agreed you know so and that's and that's probably a good thing. The thing I would worry about with annealing is kind of back to the cartridge case failure and the the hardness profile. How do you how do you control that? How do you control that the hardness profile to make sure you're not going to get a case separation yeah, in the gun? Yeah. If you make it too soft too far down. Yeah, and and, and yeah, and it's a, again the in the, on the military brass, there's a hardness band acceptable, and if you go, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a hardness tester and you just anneal it, how do you know you've got the right profile? I, 
I, yeah. I've I've annealed my brass before. Guess I can't say I've seen a huge benefit in terms of group size. Case life's another story. Yeah. But group size, I don't. I let's just say I want to see more data. Okay. Yeah, that's a good way to let's put it. Let's just say I want to see see more in data. in the sports that I compete in. Annealing is very popular, and some people probably think it has. Yeah, maybe it's critical to accuracy. And if it's a confidence thing, okay. But I know a lot of guys that spend two, three, four, five dollars a stick on brass, and they're it's fire formed. You know, they're you know blowing the shoulder out or something. And yeah. That's coming home with me, and I'm going to make this stuff last as long as I possibly can. And there's something to that for sure. 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 We have another on here question mark, and I'm trying to remember if I had anything in mind. And, and I'm cartridge cases factors on group size, dispersion. Is there anything that we overlooked here? No, we. I think we we hit it all. I think we hit it all. How cartridge cases fail? The kind Ooh. of the last. The last batch of last gas. The things here. we want to avoid. Yeah. So um, we, we've already talked a little bit about stretching and necking. Um, primarily a problem with rifle cartridges because of the shoulder and because of, as we mentioned earlier, the progressive contact nature of the cartridge case wall as it, as it touches, the, touches the chamber. And it stretches most just after the last point of contact. And can you make the can you make the action stiffer to pre, to remove to reduce the amount of stretching? That's pretty hard to do. Okay. Unless you're modifying the gun, that's pretty hard to do. Um, uh, can you pick a pick a, an action that's stiffer? Maybe. I. I you think you need some pretty sophisticated tools in order to make that make that selection. Though. Sure. I mean, you need some need some CAD tools and and um, a little bit of linear finite element analysis. I think to make that make that assessment correctly. Um, yeah, that's kind of a. It's not for your average hobbyist. Not, not for your average hobbyist, but no. there is some things you can do on the hand-loading side to help reduce the stretching after that initial firing. And that's, like we said, use those headspace comparators, find out how yeah. much it's stretching in the chamber, and then bump that shoulder back. Just a little bit. Yeah, a couple thou is usually what I recommend, two, three thou on a bolt action, maybe five or six on a, on a semi-auto. Okay, over pressure. I don't know as we have to say a whole lot about that. You've got to drive a brass cartridge case i mean you can get it to stick in the chamber but to actually make the brass come apart you're grossly dangerous yep yep flagrantly out of line yep and which happens it, and yeah happens to the best of us uh, uh we had a customer call in to tech several years ago uh 338 lapua shooter and h110 bottles Kind of look like H1000 bottles. Oops. And that was a kaboom. Oh. Yeah, to say the least. Obviously, the brass didn't survive that. Neither did most of the firearm. Ouch. Uh, luckily, he was uninjured. But That's that's a testament to the design of the gun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Good. I mean, kind of good on, good on them. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. But on the overpressure side that we, we would experience more often would be uh, you go to lift the bolt up. You're working hand loads up. And everything feels good, looks good. You go up another half grain of powder, and that bolt doesn't want to lift. Or you can lift it, but it doesn't want to come back. Yeah, and and 
and that's a that's a very subtle hint. I mean, you know, I my experience when my twenty five out six Ruger number one, you know, I I dropped I, I dropped the block, and I looked, and there there's no primer cup in the primer pocket. Like mm, that's a little let's, warm. Let's not do that again. Now, what's, let's dive into that just a little bit. I'm sure. guessing you've got far more insight to it than I do because as as the layman, what I envision happening, but I don't know if it's actually happening, the pressure, so much pressure that the case is engraved into the, or not engraved, but really biting the chamber walls and the primer flows rearward and normally the brass would let go and chase the primer back into the bolt face, but because of that pressure, exerted into the case pushing it into the chamber walls the primer is now free to outrun the cartridge head yeah so one of the things well, i mean the whole interior ballistic event you know you you smack the primer and pressure comes up in the primer cup first and we know it pistons backwards right right pushes the case forwards to start okay well if you do that and you've got a little bit of extra headspace and i don't i mean i don't know what the headspace state was when i started okay then the pressure comes up in in the cartridge case interior volume, and the case comes slamming back. Did you pinch the cup? Oh, did you pinch the cup? I mean, I I took that gun apart looking for primer parts, non-existent. Nothing. Not. I, I was like, ouch. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but my my assessment of how that operation occurs is is somewhat accurate. Yeah. If the pressure gets kind of crazy high, the pressure, of course, can wander back through into the primer pocket. And I measured the, I measured, and again, that's in the book, I measured the diameter of the extractor groove, and it was up 15,000-ish. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it was a pretty high pressure event. I mean, some of the guys, some of the guys with 6.5 Creedmoor, are running small primers so they can run higher pressures. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean the pressure's not there. It just means you're not as not as susceptible to it. So, I mean, is that a smart idea? Wouldn't be on my list of things. To it's do. not on my list of things to do. And you say that uh, Jaden and I have done this, where you're shooting a match and the guy, oh, I'm running this much of this powder with this bullet, getting this velocity from this barrel length. And we'll, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Let me, let me move a few more through well, lanes you now. Know, and, you know, you make the small talk <laughs> at the match. Then you come back to work Monday morning. Jaden, what are you doing? Ah, I'm just going to shoot, you know, <laughs> just going to do some testing real quick. Shoot that guy's load. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, you that's know, he's pretty zippy. He's 72,000 pounds and bolts open, running smooth, small primer pockets, good, and good actions. Good on him. Yeah. It's good just on him. Not just, something I'm, I'm glad not I'm not your insurance agent. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, work hardening, we talked about a little bit, um, both the neck and the base. Yep. And that brass, a work hardenable material. Yeah. You can move it a little bit and it'll kind of spring back. If it's cold, uh, it's less susceptible to that. If it's warmed up, you can move it a little bit further and it'll still kind of work with you. But eventually it will get harder. Every time you fire it, it gets harder. Ab- absolutely. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. Yep. It's a good material, but it's not, you know, it's not you know, some sort of magic space age material either. It's yeah. Yeah. Brass. It's just regular old brass and it's been around for a long time for yep. a very good reason. It's, it's, it works. It's pretty good stuff. Firing in the wrong chamber. Well, I sadly have 
some experience with that too. Yeah. Is yeah. that is that uh That's that's no, that's not in there. That happened after I did the book. Okay. Yeah, so so uh firing a 9 millimeter cartridge in a 357 SIG. Oh, got Oops. a little longer, probably separated? Uh actually no. The bullet came out cuz it's the same diameter bullet. We're mm-hmm. good there. But the the case looked like a pregnant guppy. Had a little belly on it. It had a it had a belly on it and and let's just say we had to work some to run the slide. Yeah, I can imagine trying to get that brass to push. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. So, um and in in that experience that you had uh sounds, you know, pretty I don't know the right word for it. Uh uh not pedestrian, but like it happened, and everybody was okay. The firearms okay. We're, 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 you can you can have some big problems. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, and it depends on the design of the gun and where things are designed to vent to. You know, sure. Kind of the uncommanded mag dump is part of the part of the design of the gun. Part of the design of the gun. Okay, I've got an overpressure event. The case dumps the pressure. Out goes the, and at least the shooter is unharmed. unharmed for the moment. Yep. Yeah. Just, just what the heck happened? Yeah. You know, and yeah. I've seen the uh, remnants of some bad firing in the wrong chamber, uh, where you know, like a three hundred eight, three hundred eight Winchester will fire in twenty five out six because the bullet's just long enough out there with a full enough ogive. Oops. And that. Oops. Yeah, Brass, Oops. yeah, the brass doesn't handle that. But also, this is a, another a good example of P.O. Ackley, 280 Remington and a 280 Ackley improved. Brass being malleable takes the shape to that chamber. Yeah, I, I was firing the 9mm in the 357 SIG. I was actually quite impressed that the case stayed in one piece. Yeah, well, you Ackley improved it. The 9mm Ackley improved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, well, that's just a testament to again we we talked about it earlier, but how amazing brass is been around for decades and decades and decades. It's really it's really um, a very good material for that particular application. Yep, I like it. Is there anything that we? I mean, we I learned a ton just visiting with you, but there's got to be more to it. But anything that we could talk about case wise that would help our listener out maybe understand some things i'm we've we've had a lot of things here and i'm i you know i i uh oh one last item the effect of case taper case body taper on on some of the gun interface parameters okay so once upon a time i did a bunch of work in 50 cal bmg all right okay and of the of the Things that the gun guys worry about. So I did a parametric study on the baseline taper, half taper, you know, half the in- inches per inch of taper. Okay. 1.5 times the taper and two times the taper. And I, what I did analytically was said, okay, let's keep the wall thickness and the hardness gradient the same. Okay. And so we're using the same pressure time forcing function, and we're just looking at what happens to the results. Just kind of a 
mental gymnastics exercise more than anything else is yeah. did they pick the right geometry for that cartridge case okay. really is it is it quote optimal so uh case survival not affected not a no no change with uh the the changes in case taper Peak bolt load, again, unaffected. There was no change in the peak bolt load, change in any of any of those and in the body taper parameters. The residual load at unlock. The other residual load at unlock had a different slope, a noticeably different slope than the baseline. The baseline had the lowest slope. So from a weapon function robustness standpoint, mm -hmm. that taper was probably the best choice. Really? How did they do that? Yeah. I don't know. Was it thoughtful or was it just happenstance? I, I yeah, and and since the gun was developed a hundred years ago, yeah. who's got the notes? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So that that was kind of an interesting, interesting outcome. And the uh, the last parameter, the 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 peak extract load, again, the baseline taper had the lowest slope with pressure. So, like, again, somehow they picked the right taper, and 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 I it might be a it might be a a good project for some historian to go digging into for for 50 bmg how that taper got selected yeah yeah mr browning taking it to the grave i yeah. guess no no now little piece of trivia mr browning and i are exactly 100 years apart really age. yes well, that's pretty interesting <laughs> yeah and and you picked a good career field to go I, in with I, that I, birth date. I, I certainly did i certainly did <laughs> that's pretty awesome and in interesting that that it was it fortuitous. Maybe we'll never know, but that's that's remarkable. And it's it's you obviously you approach that correctly in my opinion by keeping everything static and only changing the taper. Uh, so you could really isolate was that right, right, right. That was an interesting one. Well, like I said, I've learned a ton. And for those listening, if you haven't, I we mentioned it the last time you were on, Jeff. But that book, Ammunition Demyst Demystified. The non Bubba's guide that that non Bubba's thing it's it's a it's not a technical manual but it's not not a technical manual it's a good read and if this is your passion in life you need to pick up a copy of this book yeah it's it's really it's really kind of the it's meant to open people's eyes about what goes on behind the curtain mm -hmm. without getting too much into the weeds now some people tell some people will take exception to that but yeah. Okay, I'm 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 all right with that. Yeah. Well, and and you showed me some of this email correspondence and and a guy who was a very seasoned reloader, a very seasoned hunter, knew, you know, knows what he's doing and and his comment was uh you don't know what you don't know was directed to me. Uh it, figuratively speaking, it wasn't directly, you know, toward him, but what he's saying is you can be doing this your whole life and and not fully understand the details of what you've been doing and um, you know, I've uh, I met a gentleman, uh, Kurt Bauer, and uh, 
at some trade shows, he's stumbling up, coming up, man, I went down a rabbit hole. I bought, <laughs> you know, the non-Bubba's guide to ham- how ammo really works is really the right way to, to caption that because it's, it's in-depth and uh, there's a lot to learn from that. There's a ton to learn from you. And I'm really glad that we have the relationship with you that we do and that you're still swinging by the shop here to come play around with my, Jaden in my, the lab. My, my pleasure. My awesome. pleasure. Well, Jeff, Thank, yeah. thanks for having me. I re- really appreciate it. Yeah. And, and listeners out there, if you're liking this content, drop us a comment, reach out to Jeff directly, get a copy of the book. We want to hear that you're liking this kind of stuff because, you know, as, as much as Jeff will allow, we'll keep bringing him back on the podcast to, you know, dive into his depth of knowledge. Done, done deal. Done deal. Happy, awesome. to, happy to do it. Appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks again. All right. Everybody, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. I can tell you, I learned a ton just from sitting down. I can't wait to listen to this one back again. Uh, cartridge cases, kind of a cornerstone of, of ammunition, if you will. A lot going on. I learned a lot. Hopefully you did too. We'll catch you on the next one.